Welcome to The Thought Card, a podcast about travel and money, where planning, saving, and creativity leads to affording travel, building wealth, and paying off debt. We are the Financially Savvy Travelers. Hey, Financially Savvy Travelers. Welcome back to another episode of The Thought Card Podcast. Today, I have fellow travel podcaster Gemma Thompson with us, and we're going to be talking all about female solo travel, as well as what it's like to travel with your family now that she's expanded her family. So super excited, Gemma, to chat with you today. And also, when you join the Thought Card Club, you'll also get access to the extended interview with Gemma, where she shares some of her favorite day trips from London. So make sure you head back to the show notes. To grab the links, you can get access to the extended interview as well. So welcome, Gemma. Hello. It's so nice to speak to you again. So nice to catch up. I was just saying before we hopped on and started recording that I was a guest on your show, A Girl's Guide to Traveling Alone, episode number 10, where we talked about like low cost travel and and how to do it. So I'm super excited to have you on and for me to also learn more about solo travel and how I can be a better traveler too. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting you mentioned that because when I look at my podcast analytics, yours is one of the most popular episodes, like seven easy steps to low cost travel. That's what people want to know. (laughs) Oh, that's so good. That was a good conversation. So you've been traveling on your own since 2002. What inspired your first solo trip? What was your situation like? I know you were working in corporate. So tell us more about that first trip. Well, just to give you a little bit of context, I kind of grew up in the northeast of England and went to college, got a job out of college. And I was sort of in my first job. And I don't know about you, but none of my friends seemed to be into like backpacking or traveling. So it was something that had never even crossed my mind. However, (laughs) when I was in my first job, I did, you know, used to look at the map of the world and just to kind of imagine all of these amazing places that I could go. And I worked with a project manager called Anna Maria, who had recently been traveling. And I used to just kind of pop questions at her every now and then. And I don't know, there's some kind of thing which started to just like, no way at me and I couldn't ignore it. And then I was living with my boyfriend at the time in Newcastle. And we both worked at the same company. And as it happens, the company did quite well. And we got a bonus, which was enough to cover a round the world ticket and a few months of just surviving out there. <laughs> However, I kind of wanted to go on my own. And my ex-boyfriend, who is lovely about it, he was understanding. And I think he like bought a car with his money. and But it was a lot of money to me. And I just thought, if I don't do it now, I'll never do it. So that's when I decided to book around the world trip. But I had no idea where to go, no idea what it was going to be like. And I was actually kind of nervous that I might get homesick and I might not like it. And I was basically quitting my job on a whim on the off chance that I would enjoy travel. So I definitely knew that I needed some space and wanted to travel alone. I've always been quite independent, even from a young age, I like to explore on my own, wherever I was allowed to go on my own. So like any big trip, I think when you book the flight, then it's real. So I went to STA Travel, which is sadly kind of suffered in the pandemic, no longer here, but that was the place to go. So 
book my round the world ticket, talked to my friends, work and my other friends and got lots of advice. And that was it really. I, I just knew that I wanted to explore the world. I think I felt a bit stifled and a bit trapped in the Northeast. I mean, not that it's not a great place. It, it is a great place. I love, you know, where I lived and I love my social scene and my family were there, but I just wanted, definitely needed a change of scenery. And I didn't want to feel tied down when I was in my early twenties to getting a mortgage and all that kind of stuff scared me. So yeah, I booked the trip. You know, I definitely understand where you're coming from. And I elected to do the things that kept me stifled. (laughs) As like society tells you, I was like, I need to get a job. I need to pay down the student loan debt. All things that I'm really proud of and I'm really happy. Like these things put me in a better position now that I'm in my early 30s, like for sure. But I wish I had more of an open mind and I wish I was just more aware that there are many different ways and different paths to leading the life that you truly want to live. But I signed up for a house like very shortly after paying off my student loan debt. I just subscribed to the things that kept me grounded. Now, don't get me wrong. I can still go and do things. I can, you know, rent out my house. I can do things like that. But again, it's like you mentioned, there's a level of commitment that you subscribe to that makes it a little bit more challenging. So I definitely understand. And I definitely feel like in my 30s, I'm trying to design my life in a way that I'm in more control and I can have more flexibility and more freedom. I totally understand why you did that. Because had I listened to (laughs) most of the grownups in my life at that point, you know, my parents or grandparents even, they would have been telling me the same thing. Do not quit your job. I had a job in graphic design, which in the Northeast at that time wasn't really easy to come by. And I can totally see, especially when you're young, you really listen to your elders, don't you? And you, Because they've got the life experience. And I think it's really hard for young people now, like 18, 19, early 20s, to get that confidence to kind of follow their gut feeling because, you know, economies change and the job market changes from like year to year, doesn't it? So my advice, you know, it might be way easier for me to just quit and go ahead, you know, in 2002 than it would be for someone today. However, it's ever changing, isn't it? And it's like a confidence thing, isn't it? But then you, you're so like financially savvy, (laughs) way more than I am. So it's trying to find that balance, isn't it? It is. Life is all about finding the balance. So Gemma, can you share why you chose to do a large round the world trip where you decided to quit your job versus going on maybe a month long trip or using maybe your entire year's worth of vacation days? So why did you make that big decision to like cut ties and go on this big trip? Yeah, that's a really good question because the common sense kind of head <laughs> would have said, just do what you said, like you want to like a month long, or which I probably could have negotiated from work at the time or like two or three weeks. But I felt a little bit like everything was closing in on me. Like I felt pressure to maybe settle in Northeast. Me and my ex were living together, but we rented a small flat in Newcastle and I knew that that wasn't really what he wanted. I knew he was really prefer to buy a place. And 
I just, I don't know. I'd never really, I felt like I hadn't really explored the world at all. I went to university in the Northeast as well. So I honestly felt like I was getting trapped and I felt almost a bit claustrophobic and a bit suffocated by it all. And I just really wanted to get away. And when I say get away, I wanted to be in a country or a city that was the absolute opposite of where I was now. And I absolutely loved my friends and my life there and a lovely setup and everything. But I just was desperate for a breath of fresh air in the form of culture, in the form of like exotic kind of heat and busy traffic and different road signs and (laughs) different food, different scenery. I hadn't travelled outside of Europe at all before I went on my backpacking trip. I I ended up going to like Australia and New Zealand, like Southeast Asia, you know, that very kind of, if you live in England, that's a very common my first backpacking trip (laughs) and all of that offered me what I craved Southeast Asia was to someone from the Northeast who's never really traveled much to be honest by that point that was like getting hit in the face with culture and it was amazing that's what I needed I just craved that hit of something different and I think that if you have that urge and you put it off and put it off and put it off then the longer you put it off the harder it is because life happens. You know, you might have a child, you might buy a house, you might get married, all these kinds of things. You might get this dream job. You know, you, there's always, there's never a good time to quit your job <laughs> ever and go traveling. But I've ne- it's been probably one of my best life decisions. And yeah, like I said, I just was desperate for that change of scenery, really. Just you saying this makes me desperate for a change of scenery right now. I think we all are at the moment, aren't we? (laughs) We all are. It's been a long year and a half. So awesome. Awesome. Okay. So you went to Australia. You checked out Southeast Asia. Now, during that time, so one, how long was this round the world trip? And how were you creating income? Were you creating income at that time or you were just living off of your savings and the bonus you had earned? Well, those are two good questions. First off, the trip was just three months, which is not that long. When you say you quit your job to go traveling, you know, it's probably a better idea to quit your job and hit the road for a year, you know, really make it worthwhile. So it was just a three-month trip. And the reason it was a three-month trip was two reasons, really. One was money. And I'll come on to that. I know that's your second question. It's kind of intertwined, really. And I was completely clueless. So in hindsight, it's a wonderful thing. Had I known what I know now, I would have gotten a working visa for Australia, which you know allows you to work there for I think it's up to two years now. And I would have gone for longer. I think what I was nervous about, as I said before, was I was nervous I wouldn't like it and that I would miss everybody back home. I hadn't really traveled and I was nervous about it. So three months felt like not too long a time and I mean I believe me I packed it in I was like sleeping on overnight buses so that I didn't you know waste any precious time and exploring it was exhausting but you can do that when you're 23 (laughs) and when it comes to money this is a regret of mine and this is where you're the expert (laughs) because all I did was I got my bonus which it covered like my round the world ticket which I think at the time was maybe just under 1,000 pounds UK pounds. And then it also paid for like some tours of like, I joined a tour in Southeast Asia. I joined like a few smaller ones in Australia, like in the outback. It covered those things and it would cover accommodation. I still came back in debt 
because I didn't manage my money very well. I stayed in hostels and I just made my own food or street food. So I wasn't blowing it on anything. I don't know. I think I was just maybe had spent all of my money before I went. So I was kind of living in, you know, all that bonus paid for everything up front. But then when I got there, I was just living on my credit card, basically, because I I had no real money apart from that, no savings. So, yeah, I I didn't have any revenue stream whatsoever. And in hindsight, yeah, I would have definitely stayed longer and I would have gotten work, probably doing what I did when I left, which was like web design, graphic design, because I know in Australia, those jobs were quite easy to come by at that time. As a UK designer, they were quite keen on um, British designers. Even if it was like fruit picking, I know that I should have now. I wish that I'd gotten my work visa and stayed longer. But it's really hard to think like that when you are young and you don't know what's coming and you are worried that you might get homesick. So, I mean, hindsight is a wonderful thing. But I think if I could go back and tell myself one thing, it would be just leave in January and get your working visa and then make it up as you go along. I was so strict with my itinerary. (laughs) But these are all things that you learn along the way because whenever it's your first trip, it's really daunting, isn't it? I didn't really do very well on the money front. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. And I totally understand. You know, we could definitely look back now and say, we could have done this, we could have done that. But in the moment, you put yourself back into how you were feeling, your mindset and just the circumstances you know, life could have said something different, right? So we make our decisions based off the information we have at that time. I totally, totally understand. So tell me about that three-month trip to Australia and Southeast Asia. What was that like? Did you feel alive? Did you feel free? What was that like? Yes, I felt alive and free. Oh my God, it was so eye-opening. And you know what? I had to go into my old Hotmail account. I think everyone's got an old Hotmail account, don't they? I had to look for some email the other day and there at the end of my emails was my travel emails. So this was 2002. So very, you know, pre-smartphone, et cetera. And I basically sent a group email out. That's how I would update people. And just reading back the stuff that I wrote, I was so young and so like, oh, it's cute. But it's also like, wow. But I could tell that I was seeing it for the first time and having an amazing time. It was just like a breath of fresh air. So I bought this round the world ticket. It was a relatively cheap ticket, but it had like a stopover. You know how you can sometimes get a cheaper ticket if you have like a layover in a certain city. And I got this ticket to Bangkok, but then had to stop over in Dubai on the way over there for a few days. So I had these few days in Dubai and Dubai is probably at the time, at least one of the least backpacker friendly cities because it's so expensive. But what it did do is it had that instant culture. I remember getting off the airplane even in Dubai airport and you know seeing the signs in Arabic I was like oh this is so cool and walking out into that wall of 30 degree heat even at like you know 11 o'clock at night or I, I arrived very late and and hearing the call to prayer in the morning all of those things I was like I was a bit freaked out I think on the first morning I was like what have I done I've, what have I done <laughs> But that's kind of tiredness. From then on, I never, ever really got homesick. I don't think at all, not even for a minute. You know, looking back, I would have spent longer out there and I would have maybe moved at a less frenetic pace. But I just remember feeling so alive, feeling so like woken up, you know. I felt like I'd been maybe, you know, stuck in a rut before, stuck in the Northeast. And 
I, I don't know. Um, my biggest fear is like inertia, just kind of sitting still and same old, same old every day. And yeah, it was wonderful. The magical memories of seeing the phosphorus in the sea in Thailand and just those views of Thailand, you know, those limestone cliffs that you get around the islands in Thailand and the colour of the sea. And I, I've got vivid memories of lying on my back in the sea and just being surrounded in this gorgeous lagoon and thinking, oh, this is what I need. <laughs> and then Australia, I totally fell in love with. I loved the outback. I think I'll always love the outback, how remote it is. And and then I loved the Australian easy breezy kind of way of life as well. I know it's not a perfect country by any means, but I just very quickly slipped into traveler mode. So instead of having everything, like all of my hostels booked, you know, weeks in advance, I would fly by the seat of my pants and just turn up and and it always worked out. I mean, I learned to loosen up, I think. I definitely think I grew up a bit as well, maybe. So I think I was quite young for my years, having never really lived outside the Northeast and it opened my eyes to the rest of the world. Before I went traveling, Newcastle was my world. It's lovely, but that's pretty much all I knew, Newcastle and Durham. So it was complete eye-opener. And my only regret is that I didn't go for longer, really. But what can you do? <laughs> you just go again later on. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. Now that you say later on, I know that you've taken many, many solo trips after that first trip. So what would you say makes a great destination for female solo travelers? That is a good question. I think if it's your first time, then going somewhere which has quite a well-trodden backpacker route is probably less daunting. So that's why I chose Southeast Asia in Australia. Australia, there's no language barrier. Southeast Asia, you don't need to learn Thai or Malay or Vietnamese. You learn the words for please, thank you. And, you know, you learn to be polite, but you don't need to converse. You know, you can get by. And I think those countries and those areas uh, for me are super easy to get around. They give you, especially Southeast Asia, you do get that culture here. You go to Vietnam and it's like crossing the road is a novelty. <laughs> you know, there's bikes everywhere. There's noise, there's heat. It's amazing. And the people are so wonderful. I think that Southeast Asia would welcome anyone, you know, and it would be a really good first kind of goal if you want at solo travel. But if you need that culture hit, Australia too served me really well because it's so diverse in its natural history. You know, it's got everything from outback deserts to snowy mountains to rainforests to the most beautiful beautiful snorkeling and scuba diving, which takes your breath away. So that's a great country if you want to push yourself as well. You know, you can go on hikes through the outback, you can sleep under the stars in a swag and you can dive, you can just see the most amazing sights. And all of these things just really make you feel like you're living a rich, full life. And then I think, you know, if you're feeling a little more confident, South and Central America as well, were just amazing. They've got all the things that Australia and Southeast Asia have as well, but you have the, you probably need to speak a little bit of Spanish. You can get by in the big cities speaking English, but it's much better to learn a little bit of Spanish because you just get so much more out of it, really. And you pick up more along the way. And that is more challenging to travel through, I would say, than the other countries like Southeast Asia and Australia, but not by much. You can get the hang of it and 
I'll also say that hostels these days are like boutique hotels. When I first started traveling, you know, I stayed in some dodgy places, which were like concrete cells without any windows. (laughs) And I only paid like $5 a night. Nowadays, like the choice of accommodation is so good. You know, everyone's upping their game, especially with the arrival of social media in the last 10 years. So I think it's easier now to plan in advance because you can literally see where you're going. So, yeah, I'd say those two like regions of the world, I would say for culture, I can't really discount anywhere, to be honest. They are my favorite, my personal favorites, I think, because you get that culture and you get that challenge. Definitely in South America, you get a bit of a challenge because one, you need to learn a little bit of Spanish, I would say. And two, a lot of the time you are at altitude. So it's like, that's a whole other ball game. So you just need to learn to kind of get yourself up to altitude, acclimatize, and you get so rewarded, you know, the most amazing Inca Mayan culture and the food, you know, it's just absolutely amazing. You'll come back a different person, definitely. And then if you want to challenge yourself further, then you could try India, you could try Eastern European or Central European countries as well. The world's your oyster, really. I think it's all about getting that confidence and getting your like travel legs. And then I don't think anywhere is out of the question, really. Yes, I totally agree. And you have a wonderful blog post titled The 11 Best First Time Solo Travel Destinations. And I'll have a link to that blog post in the show notes to just give you a rundown of some of Gemma's favorite destinations, including Ireland, which is one of my faves. Oh, it's so beautiful. And the friendliest, probably one of the most safest countries in the world to travel as a solo female traveler. I mean, as part of Ireland where it's okay to hitchhiking, I would never say that about any other country, I don't think. I mean, I think you're so right in bringing Ireland up. It is super safe, super lovely, super friendly. And yeah, Ireland's definitely one for making good memories. Excellent. Excellent. All right. Now that we've talked about the destinations for female solo travel, let's talk about the best tips. What are some of the things that you think that solo travelers first time or even experience should know? I was reading your blog and some of the tips that you shared. I was like, I haven't done this or I was not doing that or I did this, which is not a good thing. So we'd love to hear your thoughts on best tips for solo travelers. Yeah. So I'd say first off, and maybe the most important one is to do the research. So, which again is maybe where I fell down (laughs) in my first trip because I bought the guidebooks and everything. And I looked on forums back then. I mean, this is really showing my age, like travel forums, like Lonely Planet had one called The Thorn Tree. I did bits and pieces, but not to an extent that I would today. So I kind of cross-reference my research. I mean, I'm such a nerd, but I do think that if you can take an hour, it will pay off in the long run. So research the customs and any kind of cultural references that you need to be aware of when you're going to another country. You don't want to be that tourist who makes the faux pas, you know, and always do the research into even the most basic level of politeness and custom. So for example, if you are going to, like I did, I went to Dubai on my first two days of my first ever solo trip. I knew that I would need to cover up. I mean, I wouldn't be walking around in a bikini anyway, but I I knew that I would be covered up pretty much head to toe because you don't want to stick out and you don't want to offend anyone. And you don't want really unnecessary attention either. So always respect the customs a friend of mine, Ola Lahane, she's called, she's traveled quite a lot through Iran and she's Irish. 
I remember her telling me about how she covered up and the friendliness of the women and the families on the train who were giving her like food and snacks and inviting her to dinner and all this. I do think that when you do as the locals do, then it pays off in ways that you might not even expect as well. So that's definitely my first tip. And also when it comes to research, just research like where you're staying, when you book where you're going to stay, make sure it's not out in the middle of nowhere. I have made that mistake in Bangkok. (laughs) I stayed in a hotel which was right on the city limits. I don't even know why I booked it. I booked it in a rush and my goodness, it was a weird place. So yeah, make sure that the location is good, that the reviews are good. And what I do, I also even look at Google Street Map to make sure it's in a nice neighborhood. I look at the directions from the airport or where I'm going to next, like the train station or however you're going to get there and make sure you can get there safely and quickly. Yeah. And Google Street View is an amazing tool just to make sure that one, your neighborhood looks nice and safe and two, that you're familiar with the neighborhood before you get there. So you kind of, you're not going totally cold. You know that, for example, okay, opposite that my hotel, there's a hairdresser or there's a supermarket and down the road, there's a bar. You can recognize these places when you get there and it just makes it a bit easier to find as well. And I would say that cross-referencing the reviews is just, I always do that. I never go anywhere without any reviews. When it comes to things like Airbnbs, I only book places which have got five-star reviews. I never take that chance because it's just not worth the risk. And then when it comes to packing as well, I would say maybe take enough clothes for four different outfits. If you're going for a long period of time, if you're going backpacking for a long period of time, because chances are, and don't take anything that you really like, (laughs) because chances are if you're hiking in the desert or the rainforest, these t-shirts, they're going to get covered in sweat and red dust and sun cream and anything else that you think of so chances are you might have to just give up on them and then get something new when you're on the road so pack light as well I know there's lots of Instagram accounts with women with amazing big billowy dresses and high heels on the cliff edge but that I don't think is realistic I think if you are going for a long time take two pairs of shoes one hiking one flip-flops I think that'll be all you need to be honest and also try not to over plan which has definitely been where I've fallen down (laughs) in the past like I mentioned my first trip honestly from arriving to almost getting home I had pretty much every day planned I mean it it did change along the way and thankfully I didn't book my accommodation for every night for three months that would have been even crazy for me I think but be open to changing your mind you might get somewhere and it might not be what you expected you might want to move on quicker or you might get somewhere and you might want to stay there for another two weeks so don't be too strict in your planning and be open to going with the flow as well but I would say counter to that (laughs) always have your first two or three nights booked when you're first flying out somewhere you don't want to fly and land and then try and find somewhere to stay so make sure you've got yourself somewhere nice booked and also if you are traveling a long way I would and if you're say if you're backpacking and you're mostly going to be staying in hostels and stuff from experience, so when I went to Central America, I flew from London to Guatemala and it was just a nightmare really because my flight arrived really late at night. They were basically closing the airport when my flight arrived. And by the time I got to my hostel, I was so exhausted. And then I, I was in this like shared hostel and I just, all I wanted was my own bed that night really. So maybe 
ease yourself in, get a private room or something like that. Or just, yeah, for the first couple of nights, that's if you're going longer. And then my other bit of research, well, two more bits. One, take a trip that you need, not that you feel like you should do. So, you know, when I was 18, I went to Ibiza for two weeks and it was great for a few days, but then I kind of got bored of doing the same thing day in, day out, which was kind of sleeping all day and then going out all night, which is great when you're 18, but it was really expensive in Ibiza. And I just felt like it was kind of boring to do the same thing over and over again. So, but I did feel pressure to go, I think, because all my friends were going to Ibiza, you know, when we were 18. Looking back now, I should have just gone into railing around Europe, but I didn't know any better. So take the trip which right for you, you know, and don't compromise. Whatever you need right now, whether you need to be just away from everything or whether you need to completely chill out and recharge or whether you want to go somewhere for a longer time, learn a language, volunteer, do whatever you want to do because time moves quickly and you have to do what pleases you. Not You can't please everyone else, especially when you're traveling because you know, you're spending your hard-earned money on this and you need to do what you want to do. So try not to compromise, you know. And finally, on a safety tip, I would say as solo female travelers, there's always a question of safety. I've never had anything bad happen to me, but bad things do happen. And sadly, we as solo female travelers, we still need to think differently than we would if we were solo male travelers. So if you are nervous, check in on WhatsApp with your family and just tell them where you're going to be. Just give them a little message when you're going to get there. I did talk to Lloyd Figgins on my podcast, who's a security expert. And if you're nervous, you can take a little door wedge to put up against your door if you are really nervous. I've never taken one yet myself, but I can understand why you might want one. These things are so light and you can get them on Amazon for like a few dollars. So if it makes you feel better and it makes you sleep better, that's something that you can do as well. And yeah, never just to not take unnecessary risks, really. I think with research, you can't really go much far wrong. These are wonderful, wonderful tips. And I'll make sure to have the list of the tips that Gemma shared in the show notes. One of the things that I had in my mind is the relevancy of guidebooks. Would you say that guidebooks are relevant in 2021 and beyond? I would actually, because I know that things change on a daily basis and but there's just something nice. I think I'm always going to be a guidebook fan. In fact, the first thing I do when I book a trip is go out and buy a guidebook because it's tangible. You're not staring at a screen. You can do the research. And honestly, the people who write the guidebooks live there and they are experts on it. And of course, you've got like TripAdvisor or Hostel World or Instagram, anywhere else you can get your information from, I think as a starting point, they are really useful to have so much information condensed into one book. And if you are traveling for a long time and you're moving from country to country, you can always pass it on to someone when you're leaving that country. Or if you want to, you can always send it home because I know that they can be quite heavy. But there's something about going through a guidebook, circling things, and you know, most of them are impartial as well and, and honest as well. So I think they are very relevant in that just for a, like a snapshot and an overview of great things to do. Of course, I will never only use a guidebook when I'm planning. If I'm still at home, I'll use a guidebook and then I'll look on review sites as well and street view. And, <laughs> you know, I hope that the guidebook industry survives. 
I think it would be very sad, very sad world if guidebooks were no longer a thing and we just relied on a an app or a website, you know, for everything. Because one of the beauties of traveling as well is you can hopefully have much less screen time as well. You know what it's like when you get brain fog, when you're doing research on a small screen and you've got five windows open. And with a guidebook, I just find it much more relaxing and I'm an advocate for guidebooks. So um, long may they continue. Oh, how do you feel about them? So honestly, I have never purchased a guidebook, which is kind of like now I'm thinking about it. I don't think I have. I don't think I've ever purchased a guidebook. But all the things that you mentioned make a lot of sense. I remember I was in Portugal and Lisbon and I had a hostel roommate who had a guidebook on just foods to try in Lisbon. And we were looking for places and all she had to do was pull up her book. She's like, oh, I bookmarked this place. She had all her highlights and the ease of it. And it really comes down to being informed and Definitely keep an open mind that, listen, things may be outdated, especially after 2020, like a lot of things have changed and closed, but still having a point of reference, I think it's important. And I'm going to Disney in July and I'm like, maybe I should look to see what are some top rated guidebooks that I could check out because there's going to be some tips that you're not going to be able to find in search. And again, with Google and other search engines, you have to know what to type in for you to actually get the right results, right? But with the guidebook, you can just get inspiration and they have put a lot of thought into what travelers need, what they're looking for. Actually, when I went to China, I did get a guidebook and I did get a language book because I was like, there's no way I'm going to go to China with no guidance. (laughs) So (laughs) yes, that's it. Yeah. That's a really good point where you can't just look at a word and guess what it might say. Like, you know, you could look at a Spanish word, for example, and maybe make a guess, but Chinese, you definitely need a bit of uh, guidance there. And that's another good one, actually, when now you say a country like China, a guidebook would be perfect for giving you the heads up on you know, local customs and culture. And even they always have sections in these guidebooks as well about tipping and what not to do. And, you know, if you if you don't finish your meal, it looks rude. Or if you do finish your meal, it looks rude. All of these like customs that otherwise would mean a lot of Google searches. <laughs> and sometimes they have like a little a list of phrases. And I do think they definitely have a place. I mean, it may be because I... I'm so emotionally attached to my old guidebooks as well that that might be swinging it for me. I mean, I've still got my one up from Australia in 2002. I will never, never, ever say goodbye to it, even though it's useless to anyone else. <laughs> they carry a certain kind of nostalgia with them as well. So, But I can see it from both sides, how you might not want to lug something around with you. It, it is quite heavy. Yes, yes, understood. I think you convinced me especially for the places that are really far, that you're not really attuned to the custom. I think that they can be a really good thing to have. So thank you so much, Gemma, for these wonderful tips. A lot of the episode we've been talking about solo female travel and we kind of inadvertently were saying it from like a single perspective, right? But I know now, you know, you're married, you have a family. So how has your solo travel style changed a bit? Do you still go and travel off on your own from time to time? Just would love to hear updates on what your travel style is like now. 
Yeah, yeah, it has changed a lot. I've got a six-year-old and I'm totally indoctrinating her (laughs) into travel. She's like more well-traveled than I was by the time I was in my mid-twenties and she's six. (laughs) Yeah, it does change when when you meet someone, if you have a family. But to answer your question, yes, I still do my solo travel. I mean, haven't done much at all recently during lockdown for obvious reasons. Been to the UK quite a lot. But an example would be that we went to Australia for a month in 2019 and my sister-in-law lives there in Perth. And so we all went out as a family, but then Rob had to, uh, my partner, he had to fly back after about two and a half weeks for work. Whereas I could take the month off because I'm you know, freelance so I can kind of manage my own time. We did a road trip with our daughter through the outback, up through the coast, which was amazing. And one thing I will notice, have noticed about children traveling, they do not bat an eyelid. They just get on with it. My daughter just, just sat there. She was happy to sit in the car, look out the window, even like they were on the road for a few hours at a time. A native Aussie at the end of it, she was constantly barefoot and in her swimsuit. <laughs> she just, she loved it. And now little sponges, you know, they take it all in and she still talks about Australia now. And if you can do that, I think it's a wonderful thing. You don't even have to go as far as Australia. You can, you know, do it two hours down the road. But then when we got back to Perth, I went to Rottnest Island on my own. And Rosa, my daughter, stayed with my sister-in-law. So that gave me like a little bit of, bit of an opportunity to discover the beauty of Rottnest Island because it can be tricky with a four-year-old because to get around Rottnest you either get a bus which would have been fine or you cycle and I don't think I would have had the energy to cycle with her on the back for a whole day in that heat and I don't think she would have enjoyed it and I don't think she would have enjoyed being caught around on a bus all day as well so that was an example when I could kind of go off and do my own thing and I snorkeled and cycled and yeah, so I do still take solo trips. They're much shorter. Obviously, these days I won't go off for weeks at a time. But there's also something lovely in sharing your travels with your family as well, especially young ones. When you see someone seeing something for the first time and how excited they are and, and also how they just take it in their stride as well. It's really refreshing. So, you know, any chance I get now, I'm saying like, so she's got an inset day, which is like a teacher training day at school in July and I'm like right I'm going to take the day off and we're going to go somewhere (laughs) Uh, any opportunities so it's a whole different sphere because you know packing is takes forever and you gotta take loads of clothes for the little ones because you know they get dirty and sun cream and all that kind of stuff but it's ultimately it's definitely worth it because they are experiencing things which are just magical really for for little ones and it just gives them a lovely view of the world as well so it's definitely an adventure it can be challenging especially on long flights but thank god for in-flight entertainment and ipads (laughs) yes and i love that you offer this perspective and you were saying you know even built into a family trip if possible you may be able to do a half day trip or go somewhere on your own, you're still having like a solo experience. A solo trip doesn't have to always be you flying across the other side of the world on your own for like a month or two. It could be just for the day or just for the afternoon and just having some time for yourself. So I love that perspective. So Gemma, thank you so much for stopping by and for just sharing your tips, your perspectives. I loved hearing your story. I definitely 
got the travel bug again, you know, energized to travel for the rest of the year and for the rest of my life, please let everyone know how they can connect with you and also share more about your podcast for sure. Oh, yeah. Thank you. And honestly, it's been so nice to speak to you. Whenever I speak to you, it flies over in about two minutes because it's so fun. (laughs) It's just been such a nice time to talk to you and catch up. And my podcast, it's a girl's guide to traveling alone. It's wherever you get your podcasts. And you can find all of my podcast episodes and all my blog posts that you kindly mentioned over at girlsthattravel.com. And then there's links to socials on there as well. But thank you so much, Danielle. It's been so nice to speak to you. Same. Likewise. Likewise. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode, but don't forget there's way more where that came from. When you become a supporter of the show, you'll get bonus episodes, additional tips on affording travel, real-time updates, as well as strategies for building wealth and creating multiple income streams. Head over to thoughtcard.com forward slash join to support. Also, be sure to follow me on Instagram. I'm at the Danielle Desir. Slide in my DMs and share with me your thoughts about this episode. What did you enjoy? What stood out to you? Let me know. I'd absolutely love to connect with you outside of the podcast. See you in the next one.